Amen. Thank you, ladies. All right. Well, good morning. If you've got a Bible, please grab it and turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. We're going to finish chapter 3. Title of the sermon is called Righteousness in Jesus or Righteousness in Christ. Um, we've been looking quite a bit this week. If you've been with us for the, for the first time, Paul has been literally hammering on this idea that religion can't save. Um, he's been, we've been walking through several things uh, about how the Jewishness of these guys, they can't, that's not going to save them. Religion can't save you. You need outside help. You need Jesus. And as we, before we get to our text and read, I, it reminded me, uh, as Paul is literally piling on and, and re, like hitting them over and over, uh, on my first trip to India, um, I, I've been there twice. On the first one we went there, we had the privilege of going and sitting in somebody's home and they fed us. Um, now, I, it goes without saying, they didn't have a lot of food, they didn't have a lot of stuff, they had, uh, but what they had, they gave plentiful, if, the, if, if you would, but here's, here's the instructions we were given. Godwin gave us very clear instructions as we went, I think it was Swarn, Swarna's house, I think we went, we sat down, and here were the clear instructions. They are very um, polite hosts, they want to give an abundance, they had some, let's call them bananas, some very questionable grapes, maybe some things that, you know, there was some meat that I hope was chicken. You never know. I'm hoping it was. But here were the instructions that were given. They are going to continue to put food on your plate. You don't have, it's not like here where you finish your food and you're thinking, you know what, I can go for seconds. I think I'd like a little bit more rice. I think I'd like a little bit of juice. Could I have some more lemon lime soda that you're going to give me? Um, can I have some more of those grapes or this? It doesn't work that way. And Godwin said, here's what's going to happen. They're going to continue. They're going to hover around you, and if you have any room on your plate, they're going to put more food on there. They're, that's how they like to host. They want to make sure out of an abundance, they want to give it. So if you're done and you want nothing more, you got to literally, he says, you got to hover over your plate or shoo them away or say, no, thank you, I'm good, because even if you kind of passively do it, they're still going to come over the top, and they're going to give you a scoop of rice and stuff because they wanted to so graciously give because they're, they're, you're in their home. You know, if you're in my house and you eat a lot of food and you're done, hey, there's leftovers, you want to grab some more, just go help yourself, it's in the kitchen, or can I get you some more? They don't ask. I thought about that because Paul is piling on and we're going to have some big scoops of theological stuff that's going to pile on over and over and over and he won't quit. So my, my request today is don't hover your plate because we're going to cover a lot of things today because in this, in this book we've covered so many things that Paul has hammered on this truth of these Gentile believers that the wrath of God towards sin, for those who say they don't want Jesus, then the wrath of God is coming upon you. He piled some big scoops of, hey, religion can't save you. We took two weeks to go through chapter two. Religion can't save you. And last week we saw that there is none righteous, no, not one. Everybody's going to fall short. We all need help. And today we get to the culmination of well, not the book, but the culmination where we are now of what Jesus has done. That there is a righteousness for you and for your babies and for your family and for me outside of the law. We can't fix it. We can't do it. But God did something for you. Let us not yawn at that. Let us celebrate that and understand, um, as I ask you not hover your plate, as I'm going to pile on some, some more theological things today. So let's stand together. We've got a little bit shorter today, but a lot to cover and see how Paul continues in 10 verses, chapter 3, verses 21 to 31. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. 
There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith, through, through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did this to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is your boasting? Is it excluded? On what principle? On that of observing the law, but on that of faith. He is justified by faith the law. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Since there is only one God who will just circumcise by faith in the earth, circumcise faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Let's pray together. Take a deep breath, relax for a minute. In your own heart, in your own way, ask God to do something in your heart today. Um, that scriptures, that his spirit would be in this place. And if it is your desire to be changed and shaped and molded, would you ask that? If your heart is maybe like mine is a lot of times where it's kind of wandering, maybe, you're, you're, maybe your mind is focused on other things of what you got to do after church or maybe uh, what this week's going to look like or things like that, would you just uh, fight against that and ask God to help you have focus today? And he'll answer. It's a joy to come to this place. And today is going to be a, a celebration of the gospel as we cover a lot of uh, big theological things, but above all, just look at your love for us and what you've done. Help us to make much of you today and help us to, to reflect and remember what you've done for us that we cannot do for ourselves. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this passage, this text, was the, quote, the chief point and the very central place of the epistle, and possibly of the whole Bible. That's a pretty loaded statement to say that today's text, what you're here to hear about, is arguably the most important of this whole book of Romans. Arguably, maybe the center of the whole Bible. There's a New Testament scholar named Leon Morris that said, it is possibly, today's text, it is possibly the most important paragraph written ever. You know, when I read statements like that, that only makes me feel great, but also makes me think, David, don't mess this up. It's, it's, it's so awesome. Don't screw it up. Don't mess it up. Don't, don't, don't do this. Don't do that. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to give you five things. If you're a note taker, here's the five things. Let's try to go and put all five of them on if you don't mind, if it's possible. Uh, if it, it, here's the thing. And, and when you see the, the letter A, that's the front passage, part of the passage. So we're going to give some big scooping helps of intervention that God has done, how God has justified us, how God has redeemed us. We're going to see a propitiation. I'm going to explain that. And we're going to see how God's demonstration in this whole gospel narrative that takes place. Big terms, but if you're a note taker, this is for you. So let's jump right into this. The very first thing is we see these, this beautiful picture of the gospel in verse 21. That God intervenes and steps in. Because if you remember last week in verse 20, Paul ended with, hey, there's no one. Nada, zilch, nobody's righteous, nobody's right with God by the works of the law. Nobody can be good enough, nobody can be smart enough, you can't tithe enough, give enough, read your Bible enough, you can't do anything, you need outside help. And so what he does, and there's two amazing words in verse 21, but 
Now, that ought to be circled or highlighted, Paul says, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. So, so we see in the first one that God intervenes, God steps in, and this is the gospel. Now, we celebrate this, and this is all re- reminding and reflection, reflection excuse me, of what God has done for us. So, so God steps in, and I love the two words, but now, after that very helpless statement last week, nobody's going to be right with God. And Paul is establishing that man's sinful condition, that God's done something for you. Apart from the law, in the Old Testament law, being right with God, it was done by behavior, doing things, the law's requirements, ways to be made right with God, ways to appease the wrath of God towards sin. And now Paul says, hey, there's another way. Can I say this? If you are a Jewish person and you read this text, you're thinking, whoa, what are you talking about? I grew up my whole life under the law, and now you, a former Jew who's now an apostle, that you're proclaiming the hope of Jesus, you're saying there's another way. Now, feel the weight of this. That'd be like somebody coming in here on Sunday morning and saying, hey, there's another way to go to heaven outside of Jesus. You might go, oh, hold on, let's talk. So I want you to feel the weight of what these in the text are probably feeling. He said, apart from the law, there's a way. It's in Jesus. He writes it in Ephesians chapter 2, and it's on the screen. He says, remember at the time when you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Not by the law, not by religion, not by circumcision, not by church attendance, not by whatever you want to put in there, not anything external, but by the blood of Jesus. So we need outside help. So God is going to step in. God intervenes. And number two, in that intervention, number two, there is justification. Here's a big scoop of justification, if you will, with that food metaphor, if you want to stay with me. Look at verse 22 through the first half of 24. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Now, church, hear this. If you've been in this church your whole life, you probably, I hope that you've heard it. I hope after the last 11 years that you hear this repeatedly over and over. Those of the gospel, we are a, we're, we're a one-hit wonder. Everything goes back to Jesus. Every sermon should. This is the heartbeat of the Christian message, the real hope to guilty, rebellious sinners who deserve nothing but God's wrath on the day of judgment. We are justified by an act of God in the sense of a legal declaration. Let me explain this. John Stott puts justification this way. This helps. I like to rely on people that are smarter than me. Justification is a legal or forensic term belonging into the courts. Its opposite is condemnation. But both are pronouncements of a judge. In a Christian context, they are the alternative verdict which God, the judge, may pass on judgment day at the end of time. Justified or condemned. I want to be very clear on something this morning. If you're a Christian and you're a follower of Jesus, you are not declared not guilty. Somebody may want to tell you that, hey, when you stand before God, you're going to be declared not guilty of all your sins. That is not true. You are justified. You are guilty of all the sin, but you know what? Somebody else paid the price for you. To be be declared not guilty would mean there's no consequence. No, in a courtroom, not guilty, you're free. 
But in this courtroom, we are justified. We are declared justified, not condemned. But I want you to look at this. Look at your Bible. Look at into verse 23 where it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's everybody. That's you. That's our, our, our children, our grandchildren. And all are justified. What's that word right there after justified? Freely. Now, that's a little word that sometimes we just kind of pass on through. But don't cover your plate. I want to give you some more here. This, this idea of freely means it is by his grace. It doesn't mean he just gives it like by happenstance. It is by his grace. Translated freely means, ready for this? It means without cause. You know what that means, church? Look right here. That means you don't deserve it. <laughs> when God justifies us freely means you don't deserve it. You haven't earned it. There's nothing about you that says, you know what? You, you, you've earned it. Parents, have your kids ever frustrated you in disobedience? Can I get an amen? You've ever done something they think, oh. But later on, you forgive them and you, and, and you do these things and you work with them because they're your children and you forgive them and there's grace, not because they have something that they've earned or that, that they deserve. That's how God justifies us. We are declared righteous, church, all of us, all fall short. And every metaphor always talks about like a, a bow, an, an arrow pointing to a, a bullseye of righteousness. And all of our arrows, all of our actions, all of our deeds, everything falls short. There is nothing we can do to get to a righteous God. We are sinful people that fully deserve the wrath of God for our sins. We deserve to be condemned. We deserve to stand before him. We deserve to be punished forever. And if you don't know Jesus, that's going to be your declaration. But for those of us who are in Christ, we step in and we are justified. We are declared righteous. And it means nothing of our own merit. It is given freely, without cause. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. How? Well, We'll go to number three. If we go back to our list here, number three, we are, God intervenes. This is all in today's text, but a lot of scoops of theological terms here. God intervenes. God justifies us. We're declared righteous without cause. And number three, look at God's redemption. Verse 24. It all are freely justified by his grace through the redemption, there's your word, that comes by Jesus Christ. Paul uses this metaphor of redemption. We think of the words redeemed. I don't know, back in the you know, pawn shop days where you have to go put something in hawk and you think you need some money, but then you're going to go back and you're going to buy it back. You think you need some cash now, so you're going to take, take something that you own and then you're going to probably pay a little bit more for it, but you're going to go back and you're going to redeem it. You're going to say, I want that. I'm going to give the money for it. I want to redeem that. Or a coupon or some, something of value that you're going to get the full worth of value for what that is. See, we, we are we're saved by grace through faith. God intervenes. God has justified us, and it's through the redemption. Galatians chapter 4, Paul says this. i got a lot of scripture for you today. You see, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Look at verse 5. Why? To redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. See, I read that with fresh eyes. Is, you know, I think about adoption. I think about our family. I think about our little girl. I think about full rights and privileges. You're part of the family. You're not something different. You're not over here. You're full rights, full privileges. But God has redeemed us. God has purchased us. God has restored value to us under the law through the coming of Jesus. The Old Testament dominant image here, this is important historically, that the idea of redemption goes all the way back to the Exodus of that. You remember the story with Egypt, Egyptians and slavery, the blood of the Passover lamb, there is a need, there is price, there is God's glory. And theologian N.T. Wright puts it this way. He says, in the classic biblical picture, all together are enslaved. Like Israel and Egypt. What God did for Israel then, 
He does now for the world in Jesus. He provides the redemption. The death of Jesus is indeed the new exodus, the moment when slaves are freed. God has supplied what the world needs, namely release from slavery. So we are redeemed. We are bought out of slavery of sin. And what was the purchase price of that, if you can? Jesus, the blood of the Lamb. See, we need redemption. We need justification. And God steps in. We are weak. We are helpless. God paid the price. He redeemed us from the bondage of slavery. And it came at a high price to the death and the burial and the resurrection of his son, Jesus. The apostle Peter says this. He says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were, there it is, redeemed from that empty way of life that was handed down from you from your ancestors, excuse me, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in the last times or in that moment for David's sake, for your sake, for my kids' sake, for my church's sake. You see, we're all justified freely by grace, but it's through the redemption that God gives freely. We are purchased we are redeemed. We are bought out of slavery at a very high price. Please hear that, church. Number four, God redeemed us in Jesus. He's done so by a sacrificial atonement. And this gets us to a fancy word I want to explain. It's called propitiation in verse 25, the first half. Look at what he says. In light of this, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. To be received by faith. Let's stop there for just a minute. So, so some, some don't like this idea of uh, propitiation because what it is, they, we think of wanting to be made right, justified, God paid the price. But propitiation is a theological term that goes back to appeasing the wrath of God. Do you remember in chapter 1 when we talked about the wrath of God? And some churches like ours, we don't like to talk about it. We want the, uh, you know, sometimes we're not careful. We can skip the hard parts and we can talk about the, the warm and fuzzy things of the gospel. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. That is but there is, there is a wrath towards sin. We all deserve that. We, we covered that several times. To those who say, I don't want Jesus, then you are going to take the full weight of that someday. And this propitiation or this atonement means that something else, someone else took your place. We see it in, just quickly in Genesis 15, the covenant of Abraham. The animals were sacrificed as part of dealing with sin. Leviticus 17, under the Mosaic Covenant, said that life is in the blood, and so you're going to, to make atonement for yourselves on the altar, you're going to make atonement through those animal sacrifices. In Hebrews 10, and there's two places, said it, it is impossible through the blood of, of goats and animals for, to, for God to completely for, take away sins. And Hebrews 10, 12 says that Christ offered for all time for all sins through his blood. See, I remember... Um, I remember we, we talking with our sixth graders about this on Wednesdays one time. We were talking about, how does that make you feel? I've given you illustrations of the garage door, illustrations of my dad, when I broke it and he got hurt. I've given you illustrations before about if I give my son for you, because I love you that much, which I don't. Um, okay. And I've asked questions repeatedly about, sometimes I wonder in the, the, the 21st century church, sometimes if we just kind of get acclimated to that. How does it make you feel to know that God had to do something at a high cost for you? 
You know, when I talk to those kids, you know what they always say? I feel loved. But you know, one of them, I can't remember who we talked about. One of them said, it makes me feel bad. I was like, what do you mean by that? Let's, talk, let's flush that. What, does that mean? what do you mean? And he said, I, I feel bad because it was my fault. I deserve it, and God did it for me. It was because of my sin. I said, yeah. So it makes us feel loved, but it also makes us feel infinitely valuable. and worth. They're, they're, but there's also a conviction of our soul of thinking it's because of me, not just for me. As we celebrate the gospel, we take the elements, and we remember that it's not just something that happened by happenstance. It's because it's personal. It was my sin. And when we make it personal, just like that sixth grader that says, it makes me feel kind of bad, that can, be, that can be redirected to worship to say, thank you. For the rest of my life, thank you for what you've done. I'm not going to sit in a pew and just come over here and just kind of go through the motions. I'm overjoyed and overwhelmed. I can't get enough of this. There's something in my inner being that's drawn to you. I can't, I can't thank you enough. Everything about me wants to give more to you. But God loves us. That's what 1 John 4 says. That's how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God first, but that he loved us and gave his son as a what? As an atoning sacrifice, as a propitiation. He took our place. He took the wrath of sin on himself so that we don't have to. That's not just good news. That's great news. As God demonstrates his righteousness. Let's go to number five. And then we'll land the plane and we'll take the Lord's Supper together after a few. Number five is demonstration. Look at 25, the end of 25 and 26. To be received by faith, he did this to demonstrate his righteousness. You're going to see that twice. Because in his forbearance, has left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. 26, he did this to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Here, here's the, 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 the problem that we have to wrestle with. What does it mean for God to reveal or show or to, quote, demonstrate his righteousness? If I ask you how he demonstrates his love, you're going to say, he sent Jesus. He does that. So here's the thing I need you to think about. How can a holy God accept sinful people, that's us, without violating his justice? How can a God be both just and punish sin, but also be the justifier, the one who rescues people from their consequences of sin. Short answer, the simple answer to that is Jesus. But do you see the complexities here? Because as Tim Keller says, God is both judge, who cares enough about the world to set standards and hold us accountable to them, but he's also the justifier who has done everything necessary to forgive and restore us. And that's what Paul talks about over and over, that God... Romans 5, God demonstrates his love for us. So while we were still sinners, he died for us. He didn't wait till you clean yourself up. He didn't wait till you got your act together. He didn't wait till you were starting to act the part, play the part, do enough stuff, and then I'm going to step in. Show me, David, that you are religious enough to deserve my love, my grace. No. While you were a messed up sinner in need of grace, he stepped in. And he died for me, and he took my place, and he demonstrated his justice as the one who has to, to, to judge sin, but he is also the justifier that can step in in Christ and forgive it. He's the only one who can do it. Short answer is what I tell kids all the time. The only one who can fix the sin problem of the world is Jesus. That's it. And he did it to all who would believe. This is why Christ in Hebrews 9 was described as the final lamb. 
In Hebrews 9.11, there's a picture painted of, of, of high priests coming over and over and over and over. They, they, the, the, the guilt of sin is not taken away, but when the, this is what the author of Hebrews says, but when Christ came as the high priest, the good things that are, that are now already, he went through a greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, that's not part of creation. He did not enter through means of bloods of goats or calves, but he entered the most high, high and holy place for all by his own blood. Thus obtaining, obtaining excuse me, eternal re, uh, redemption. The blood of goats and the blood of bulls and the ashes of, of, of heifers sprinkled on those who are ceremonial unclean sanctify them so they are outwardly clean. But how much more will the blood of Christ through the eternal sacrifice, of the, excuse me, the eternal spirit offered himself as an unblemished sacrifice to God? How much will that cleanse our consciences from the acts that lead to death so that we can serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called receive the promised inheritance that he has died as a ransom to redeem us and set us free. You see, when we get to the last part of the text, when you get to 20, 31, Paul's going to say, where's your boasting? He says, do we boast because of the law? It requires works? No, we, we, it requires faith. And we maintain that a person is justified apart from the law. So the response of this is two things. Number one, that there is no beating of our chest. There's no boasting. We bring nothing to the table. When Paul says that, hey, in verse 27, the response of all these five things is a humble heart that steps into this and says, that I do not beat my chest. God has done what I cannot do. And there is a humility and there is a unity. Because in 29 and 30, he says, is God just God of the Jews or the Gentiles or the circumcised, the uncircumcised? No, he says he's the God of all. So gospel humility. You can't earn it. You can't save yourself. And as Ephesians 2 says, that it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and it is a gift of God. Not by works. Nothing you can do so that you can't boast. As I close, and as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, I just want you to reflect on all of these things. The God of all things, he intervened on our behalf. By the gospel, we are justified. He redeemed us. He purchased us through the redemption. He took our place. He demonstrated his justice and his righteousness. And that's the beauty of the gospel. If you're a believer here today, I'm going to ask you a couple of things. Your past, present, and future sins have been taken care of. I want you to rest in his grace. I want you to rest in who he is. If you are not a Christian, my voice. Maybe you know the facts. Maybe you know the stories. Maybe you know a lot. Maybe you've accumulated a lot of knowledge. But I want you to see your need today. I want you to see that, you're, that you still are going to pay for those sins. You still bear the weight of those, the consequences of those. I want you to see what God has done for you. I want to see that you're going to be judged someday and you're going to be declared condemned or declared justified. For those who are in Christ Jesus, who have given their life in faith and trust and their life is marked by him in reflection of those things, we are justified by his grace, his mercy, his blood, and his sacrifice. So I'm going to ask you to bow for just a second. I want to give you a moment to reflect where you are before the deacons come down in just a second. I want you to be reminded today, very simple, that God made him, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians, that God made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. 
He did it all. If you're a believer, I want you to praise him for that. I want you to thank him for that. If you don't know Christ, then I want you to come find me. Find somebody. It's not a story. It's truth. If you just take a moment and thank him for that. And as you're praying, I'm going to ask the deacons to come on down and uncover and prepare to take the Lord's Supper.